Renee, one of the things I've always admired about you um, is that from your position at the very top of the opera world, you have championed so many other genres, music and styles of vocal work. Um, I mean, your Chicago Voices project, for example, is mm. a good example. You yourself have sung jazz, uh, you made an indie album, and only last year a really wide-ranging Broadway album. I mean, um, do you think audiences across the board are finally embracing diversity in music? Because those pigeonholes are hard to break down, aren't they? Yes, I mean, I think it's probably somewhat different here, although here there is, of course, a very strong classic FM, kind of a, a light opera audience. Probably that's the biggest audience here, I would say. Um, and I would say in the U.S., the barriers are breaking down. Uh, certainly, my generation and younger are much more open-minded about uh, style yeah. and genre. We, we just have eclectic tastes. My children listen to everything. And I did too, because I, I just grew up kind of with that innate um, curiosity about, I would say music, but also singing, different kinds of voices. And that heritage of yours, the American heritage and the Broadway stage, I mean, was that always in your blood? Was it always present? Were you a, a musicals fan back then? Um, I would say it was different. I wouldn't call myself a musicals fan. It was just what we did. So every we had such powerful music education in schools, in our public schools, uh, and my parents, because they were both uh, vocal public school teachers in high school, uh, we all, each of us, my three, two siblings and myself and my uh, parents, all had our own musicals in school. So we learned a vast body of repertoire before we were 17 years old. And um, that was just what one did. And so I, I did perform a wide variety of music. And then, of course, when I went to college, I, I discovered jazz and, and really became passionate about that. So, um, yeah, I would say I've tried a lot of different things. We're, we're here in deepest Clapham, um, where rehearsals are well underway for the, the London premiere of Adam Gettle and Craig Lucas's The Light in the Piazza. Um, when did the piece first cross your radar? Because I know it oh, crossed I, mine. I heard it uh, actually in Lincoln Center and during the first uh, episode with Victoria Clark and extraordinary Kelly O'Hara. I mean, an incredible cast uh, and, and loved it immediately. I mean, the, it's just a, a, an interesting story that's extremely well told and the music is rapturous. It is, isn't it? I, I remember hearing demos way back of it when I did a, a long interview with Adam for a radio show. Mm. And at one point he started playing the prelude oh. on the piano and casually said, um, by the way, this is my grandfather's piano, Richard Rogers, piano, <laughs> which fabulous. completely floored me. I had to go down my knees at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but in music theatre, um, it's a very fine line between musicals and opera. Um, I personally hate making a distinction at all. It's all music theatre. But Light in the Piazza is that most refined of hybrids, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's sort of... Um, it gravitates vocally, between yeah, the two worlds. Even, even vocally, there are characters in the show who have to be operatically trained because of the range, the requirements um, of the writing, and, and those that don't, that, that can be in between. I mean, I, I do think it, can, it is a perfect bridge. 
Uh, and in fact, um, I was told recently that it was initially a commission by Lear Garber of Chicago that somehow then got switched to Lincoln Center, and then it became a kind of a different animal. But it was still in Lincoln Center mm -hmm. and not on Broadway proper. So it, it definitely is a, a refined work. And there are lots of pieces like that. And I think increasingly in the U.S. they're finding homes in performing arts centers and with opera houses. We uh, just produced West Side Story at Lyric Opera. We're in the run right now, and it is the, the greatest selling piece ever in the history of the opera company. Amazing. Amazing. So. Well, we forget that in the 40s and 50s, I mean, composers like um, Barber, Minotti, mm. um, Blitzstein, they had their music theatre pieces or operas performed in Broadway theatres. It was yes. quite common then. Yes. Bernstein, Candide. Yes. yes. Absolutely. It's true. It was a, a different climate, exactly. Um, now, Gettle, uh, too many contemporary operas and musicals, to my mind, sound generic. Mm. Um, the musical style doesn't quite reflect the source material, and Gettle's quite the opposite. I mean, his first masterpiece, Floyd Collins, yes. you know, totally immersed itself in that Kentucky mm. setting with the bluegrass music, and, right. and Piazza is just so Italian, isn't mm -hmm. it? That yes, yeah, it is. And, and even within Piazza, there are different styles because there are things that are quite um, extreme in a way, almost you know, contemporary classical writing, and by tonality and the complexity, and then you also have pop, absolute pop numbers. So there's, there's a, a wide variety of, of styles within this piece. And there's, I mean, there's that terrifying sequence where she's trying to find the address, the yes. daughter, Clara, right. um, and um, the yeah. direction she's going through them, and she keeps seeing these sinister figures. It's right. a kind of don't look now moment, isn't it? Really? Yes, yeah. It's a very, uh, that's an extreme scene, and uh, when we just rehearsed, is also somewhat extreme, where she's having a temper tantrum. Uh, and, uh, yeah, she has more of the challenging writing. My, the writing for my character is, is evocative and wonderful, but it's not that. Um, there's no hysteria in, mm. in her writing. So um, what I love about this character really is the, uh, the fact that she's a mother, that she has dealt a very complicated hand, and that she has to sort it out herself uh, in Italy alone. And, it, and for the time, for 1953, it is quite an extraordinary story. Yeah, because without giving out spoilers, um, yeah. her, her own marriage is in trouble. Yes. Um, and there's a generational element to this, isn't there? Because yes. she's looking at her daughter and this innocence. Right. Innocence for different reasons. Yeah. And also the love, that the, her daughter's fallen in love, that she and Fabrizio are very much in love. And she, I think Italy is an inspiration in this. The beauty, the being away from home, the sense of adventure. Uh, it, it, Italy's a very important character, in a way, in the uh, protagonist in, mm. in the piece. So um, there's possibility everywhere, and it's how she figures out how to, to kind of manipulate the situation. And how she discovers what the situation really is is so interesting. You rarely find characters uh, for lyric soprano voice and opera that have this much um, uh, complexity. I think that's why, um, certainly in New York, um, it did so well. Word of mouth was so strong on this piece. I saw it mm. twice in New York, yes. and um, it, I was moved to tears both times yes. because you do go on this journey with Margaret, yes. and you do feel all her 
confusions and agonizing decisions right. about, you know, to let this vulnerable girl go or not. And Craig Lucas has done such a spectacular job with the book because it's very concise but it's clear. And he manages um, with humor and, and, and by in very short scenes to invest an enormous amount of material in them and, and make it so, but so the audience could come along this, on this journey. So uh, he's done a masterful job. It's just really a jewel of a piece. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, an extraordinary song at the fulcrum of the piece, Dividing Day. Yes. Um, which kind of underlines her marital issues. Right. Yes. Um, I think that is the most extraordinary stuff. It's so short, so understated, and right. devastating. Yes, it's true. And even the, f in, uh, you know, I said to Adam, he was, he said he worried that the title was, was maybe uh, too convoluted. I said, no, on the contrary, the fact that it makes us stop and think, what does that mean? What does that mean, dividing day? What part, of, you know, what, what part of this relationship was divided? And she's asking, when was it? How was it? How did it happen? Um, uh, it, it is, and it, of course, it happens to so many relationships, especially long-term relationships, that people grow apart, and um, uh, or the relationship simply gets stale, and that's very much what this song is about. So it hits home mm -hmm. with the audience. It's sort of not the razzmatazz that one typically expects of music theater. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, it's so inward and so. Yes. Um, uh, the opposite. Yes, in, yeah. it's confidential. Right. It's like we're kind of. You yeah. know, we sh we're listening, but we almost shouldn't be. Yes, exactly. It's personal. Um, uh, at the opposite of that is mm. the, the 11 o'clock number of um, Fable, mm. which opens your Broadway album, yes. of course. And, um, and that's a truly great climacteric in the piece. And um, it's a Niagara of emotional release. Yes. And that really is... An operatic moment, is it mm. not? And uh, well, it's the culmination of, of her whole journey with her daughter, and and what is what is love? What is a fable? What is um, what is true love? Mean? And it, it kind of answers all of those questions. This fairy tale that we set up, uh, and if we have those moments, you know, which harkens to the light in the piazza, if we have those moments of joy and of discovery, and find someone who we feel that way about even for a moment, then we should grasp it. Uh, it, it's quite beautiful. That's that's where mm. we all go. We all yeah, choke exactly. up because it is extraordinary. Um, um, are there vocal adjustments to be made? Because obviously, with the book and with the style of the piece, um, there is a kind of um, um, it's a, I say a more confidential tone mm. to it in some respects. There's more intimate scenes. So, from your point of view someone who's used to the operatic stage and no amplification yeah. and all that stuff. Is it, is there, are, are there vocal adjustments to be made or not at all? Well, it's interesting because uh, Adam wrote the piece, I think, without really worrying too much about um, range. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so there, there are some very challenging parts for all of the roles, really. And my part, uh, the part of uh, the role of Margaret Johnson, sits a bit low for me. Uh, actually, here and there, quite low, just in terms of tessitura. Mm -hmm. But then, even within those numbers, it still goes up uh, through the passaggio and above. And so, it's an interesting challenge because you can't weight the sound too much in the bottom. I mean, I I live in my repertoire about a fifth higher than that. 
uh, and you know, I still, I, you know, in all the ensembles, I said, let me take these high, the high pitches and that, because I want to keep my range fully mm -hmm. extended. So it, it is, and but because it's intimate, you, you can't also force or try to push and make a lot of sound. You want to stylistically be correct. So this is where the beautiful microphone comes in. We allow the microphone to do the heavy lifting of really all of this music, and also to blend it. I mean, it's. It's a completely different world now, mm -hmm. and we see a lot that's homogenized now, where sound is kind of flat all the way across. It's got to be kind of evenly loud. This piece isn't that. This piece has a lot of variety in it. Mm -hmm. So it needs very careful sound design. Yes. I mean, yes. there is a, a rule which says you can only get out of a microphone what you put into it, but the advantages yes. in music theatre is surely the fact that you can, you can be so intimate. Yes. With those key yeah. Moments. Absolutely, yeah. and then it's truer in a way, and, yeah. and, and really appropriate for the style. There is, uh, regarding style, an almost improvisatory feel to some of the writing. I mean, Adam, I always say, I think, loves to journey more than mm. to arrive. Yes. And there's that spinning quality of yes. his lyricism. Yes. That, that must lend itself to your kind of voice, even if you have to make those adjustments, even if it is mm. on the low side. Well, and it's remarkable, the cultivation of what he's written, the, the number of modulations and things going to places you don't expect them to go, harmonically speaking. Um, it's, it, it's a very cultivated uh, writing. I, I'm so impressed with his work, actually. And, oh. and Craig, I, I mean, really, the two of them, what they created is, is something uh, very special. And also, Adam as a lyricist is interesting because it's not the same, exactly the same voice as Craig's voice, uh, but they're complementary, they're very complementary. That's the trick in books mm. on musicals, isn't it? If, if, there, if there is a, a, a divide or a jar between yes. the dialogue and the, and, and the song, right. you're in real trouble. Right? Well, and it's so uh, foreign to me, the fact that the book is separate from the score. I, you know, I've, every time I've done a project like this, I have failed to somehow understand that I needed to get a hold of the book to really know what I was looking at. Yeah. Uh, and this is no exception, but uh, I'm really glad I took this on. It's a huge challenge, but it's been, it's very rewarding. It's serendipity, really, that you just played Nettie Fowler on Broadway in Carousel, in Adam's grandfather's yes. masterpiece, I think. Yes. Um, and you were baptised as the rigorous eight shows a week routine. Tough, is it? Yes. After... Yes. You know, um, yes, I would say I would say uh, it's not for the faint of heart, or you know, you really you have to work very hard to be on Broadway. And the piece I just did with Ben Whishaw uh, at the Shed at the end of the Hudson, in Hudson Yards was a very different animal. Working with Katie Mitchell was so exciting, mm -hmm. and She's Paul Clark created a beautiful score for that. Uh, and I learned that that was a great preparation for this actually because having to, to share the stage in a, a theatrical musical piece with Ben Wishaw was for me an enormous uh, gift uh, because it enabled me to sort of imagine what it would be like to have to own the stage with words only, uh, which is what this is in a way. Uh, so I, you know, I kind of enjoyed these adventures because I learned so much. Are we going to see that, Katie Mitchell, um, that piece? I hope it will come to London. I think it, yeah. it would be a terrific audience for it. I was reading about it. It's, um, yeah. fascinating. It's, well, it's very complex. I mean, the, the text, it's poetry. It was, it was a stage poem, really. 
Um, and uh, you know, and then in the middle of doing all of this, I've been getting together with Evgeny Kiss and managing our program for next season because we're touring everywhere next season together in an all classical program of Liszt and um, Debussy and uh, just really beautiful music du parc. It's going to be fun. All, this, all, mostly new things for me. This you see this diversification uh, into all the branches of what we know and love as music for you is that's where you're really yeah. it's r- all rising music. to challenges <laughs> it's all music um, and music therapy I know is dear to your heart at the moment and, and yeah. you know we all know that music has a healing quality mm. it's those of us that feel passionately about it but um, it's really only now being discovered how powerful those qualities are to heal and to yes. yourself is that something well, you're going this has been a fascinating journey also because this world of uh, where the brain and neuroscience and music connect uh, is incredibly powerful for childhood development, for um, certainly for various therapies for Alzheimer's, autism, Parkinson's, and on and on, about 50. So um, I, I'm enjoying learning about this and advocating for the science uh, because the public enjoys very much uh, having the opportunity to understand the brain, you know, which is we only recently are able to study because of technology, fMRI and, and uh, EEG. And uh, we're finding, in fact, that, and I think it's all about evolution. We just don't mm-hmm. evolve very quickly as human beings. And music um, predated speech, many people believe. So it's been with us for a very long time. It's also fascinating to me that um, we respond to different musics in different ways. Yes. And things that um, affect some people profoundly, say nothing to other people. That's right. So this is where the complexity yeah. of the brain comes in again. It's personal, it's cultural, it has to do with how you were raised. It just like if we went to India, you wouldn't want to hear the diatonic scale there. You'd want to hear something completely more complex. So it, it, there's no question, but the, the power and the rhythm. And the other thing that's, I mean, we start with the fact that music has been with every culture in, known to history. So it is definitely uh, has been with us for a long time. Uh, finally, um, uh, and I've been asked to ask you this, <laughs> you've been laden with honours and your name has been lent to a flower, a dessert, and an asteroid? Is <laughs> yes. An asteroid? Is yes. this, uh, that's a first, probably. I, you know, May even be a last. I didn't even know about it. Uh, it turned up in the Wikipedia page, and somebody pointed it out, and I said, what? You're <laughs> kidding me. You know you've made it when. Yes. Exactly. That's not a compliment. That's a cosmic compliment. Uh, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm very, uh, uh, I was incredibly honored by 